0: yeah no i well i kind of did it on a whim to be honest um i remember last year looking at the you know i I raced the mass mass start raged the mass start just as i usually do and hung out with friends and then i remember monday following everybody on track leaders dot watching as we all call it just being like oh it just looks like a beautiful day out there for a bike ride like i'd kill to go hang with the folks and this year when the um registration deadline kind of came up. I was kind of joking about it to myself initially. I remember I sent the email to Todd asking for an entry to the ultra. And I said, well, I I said to myself as I was doing, I was like, well, I'm doing the Margie out and back the 200 this year. And I know the crusher, the other 906 adventure team event is offering a 350 mile. I said, well, I'm going to go for the 350 because you know, and the out and back only happens every five years, so I got to do that. And I said, well, if I'm doing the two big ones, I might as well just throw in for the other one. I'm like a a weird triple crown situation.
1: From KOM Cycling and Michigan hair. Midpack Media, welcome to the Dirty Chain Podcast, the podcast that covers the cycling scene from the viewpoint of the Michigan Midpack. I am your host, Trevor. So, listen, we all know, especially if you're from the Midwest, that this winter has been a total bust for winter sports and outdoor activities. Temps have, of course, been all over the place. Total snowfall has been drastically low, uh, leaving skiers, snowmobilers, snowshoers, uh, ice fishers, and uh, and of course fat bikers extremely disappointed. This year, Polarol, despite um, being out of a what is usually a winter season mecca, uh, was also affected. And leading up to the event, things were not looking great. Uh, But as it turns out, the polar rollers indeed were treated to a proper winter experience. One of those polar rollers, Ben Alter, a now uh, local to the Marquette area and certainly a regular to many Michigan races, Decided to attempt his own twist on the weekend and take on both the mass start polar roll and the extremely difficult and lengthy ultra version. And while I'm not sure uh, that's officially allowed or recommended, I certainly wanted to hear all about it and his experience. Now, we've had a couple episodes in the past about polar roll, and uh, This one was definitely a unique story that uh, I wanted to hear. Um, And I didn't want to get through this year without a true winter episode. So let's jump right into it. Ben Alter and the Polar Roll Double. Yeah, so uh, legit snow day today... Um what was the weather yesterday for you?
0: So I think the temperature hit fifty-nine. Okay. Um and then it went to I think by that so it hit fifty-nine, and by the time I got home yesterday it was down to thirty six-ish. And it was like blowing really heavy winds. And then um by the time I got my home set up doing homework kind of like settling in for the evening. It was like starting to rain and I woke up this morning somewhere around like five, five fifteen ish. And I looked out, I've got a window in my bedroom. I like looked out my window and I was like, Oh, that's a lot of, that's, that's not as much snow as we expected, but that's still some serious snow. And then, um, I got a text maybe 20 minutes later that woke me up saying, uh, campus is closed. For an inclement or inclement weather Incle-
1: day. Yeah, inclement yeah. In- yeah. <laughs> um, um yeah. Yeah, it was literally 70 here yesterday and now it's like 28 or something. It's it's insane. Um I I saw the
0: Strava posts and I was yeah. like, I'm so jealous.
1: What, what a crazy what a crazy winter. I think this has everything to do with what we're talking about or what we want to talk about. Yeah. Uh, yeah but this winter has been i don't know uh disappointing other times it's been so warm down here we've been riding like legitimate mountain bikes on trails, so it's that's been cool but like w- w- we almost like completely miss fat bike season down here uh um so yeah so i mean we for there to actually have been a polar roll, and and I know that it would have taken taken I don't know something catastrophic for polar roll to be canceled. I know that it would ha- would have happened regardless um, regardless of the conditions. But uh, for there to be a snowy polar roll is yeah. is pretty much a, a miracle, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, we were laughing about it. So we got the first week of January. We got. It was like twenty-four, or I think I think in town it was measured at fourteen inches. And anywhere north of town northwest towards like the Dead River Basin area, they got like forty some with the drifts and everything. And I was laughing and I'll bring this up because we spent or I spent thirty or thirty-five hours grooming fat bike trails one week. And then the next week I spent Four hours grooming fat bike trails because we either lost it all or it wasn't getting packed well or it was so hot out that we were like worried about sinking sleds or like just the duality of it was nuts in the span of like literally seven days.
1: Yeah. That's so, that's wild. And this was leading up to polar roll or?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much the last, through the last like three weeks we got so thin snow coverage that we stopped grooming fat bike trails with snowmobiles we moved down to using snow dogs which are what a lot of uh, places down state use and then we got two days on snowmobiles um and then it just disappeared we got you know 45 50 degree days and all the snow just evaporated
1: yeah i mean so so we're here to talk about polar roll um we've done previous episodes about polar roll the mass start um I did it a few years ago we've talked about the ultra last year um this is going to be I'm going to call it the polar roll double Ben. um <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ben you live up there in Marquette and you uh took on the mass start and then the is it the well no it would be 2 days later mm-hmm. starting on Monday you did the ultra which is super cool um but I I I I'm going to um, admit something, and I and it makes me sound bad, but leading up to Polar Roll, the mass start. I mean, I I didn't sign up for it; it just didn't work in my schedule. Um, but talking to people and knowing a bunch of people going up there, um, I was kind of a hundred percent okay with my decision of not <laughs> signing up for Polar Roll, because uh, either it, I thought it would be no snow or icy, um, or just like really shitty conditions and, you know, making that trip for me, it's like six hours up, six hours back. I just didn't see it worth it. And, um, things didn't actually play out the way that I had thought they would, or many people had thought they would. Um, sounds like it was much better, um, condition wise. Uh, but yeah, so I wasn't like really, excited about what polaro was going to look like for all of you. Um, but then it turned out to, it seems like, so you said like leading up and you had like almost no snow. Um, you had like these 50 degree days. Talk about a couple of days before the mass start. Um, so that was, let me just like put this in context. I mean, we're still in February here, but that was this the, um, was the mass start February 10th or February
0: uh so the mass start fell on let's see here it would have been the 17th okay with the ultra on the
1: 19th okay okay so we're we're not as far removed from it as I as I thought so yeah so only a couple weeks ago um yeah uh talk about what happened a few days before um like jesus christ himself came down and, and blessed, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. blessed yeah. marquette with a, a sheet of of, of white snow
0: <laughs> yeah it was it was funny so we we spent most of the week you know i think they they released the the guidelines for the races on tuesday of the week and they that was um like you know expectations requirements and then cutoffs. And then they were talking about cutoffs and all that for the mass start and for the ultra. And they said at the at the ultra meeting, they were like, well, we set the cutoffs based off of what the weather looked like on Tuesday. We were thinking this was going to be a gravel race. And somehow in the span of three days, um, like the <laughs> thing, Colwood area, which was the start of the ultra, received... I want to say it was at least 10 inches, maybe maybe a foot comfortably oh, wow. of leak effect, heavy snow. And then um, in Marquette, we went from, you know, what seemed like just like a sheet of ice on all of the trails to like at least another snow. And up in the Iron Range in Nagani, where they run the mass start, they got another I mean, I wanna say it was close probably close to a foot, you know, eight inches, eight to ten inches. Um and it, it literally went from like this is gonna be you could you could have thought about doing it on a mountain bike on plus tires to this is like actually fat biking weather. Um
1: uh, It was there a requirement like say for instance a snow didn't occur was there a, still a requirement say for the ultra that you had to be on um like 4.0 plus tires um or could it if like say those 50 degree days remained and it was basically a uh a mountain bike bike packing trip uh could you have ridden a mountain bike um, a lot of people thought about it, and a lot of
0: people posted about it, and there's a Facebook group for Polaro. Um Todd chimed in to clarify, and a couple other folks did as well. It was a 3.8 tire minimum or, or bigger. Um, I think a lot of people took that as let's just run our smallest tire we can. I remember at Gear Check and during the mass start, there's a lot of people who are running like these four zero or four two tires, partially studded, fully unstudded, and I'm I'm sitting there looking at them like you guys made this decide this tire decision on Monday, and then we got another like foot of snow. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> I mean I, I I was following some of that conversation a little bit, and then some of our friends too about. I mean I think there was a panic for studs um thinking that it would be a mostly icy like any of the snow that remained would be would be icy cuz it looked like the temperatures were going to be cold um at least during the mass start um and then I fe- I mean probably the studs didn't hurt um you you tell me I mean if if it was studs were needed or not but uh but yeah, like on Monday there was all these people were trying to find studded tires and uh and probably come Saturday the snow did did it necessitate studs or
0: Yeah, I um so I so I've I was surprised we got out there for the mass start and there were some sections in the early on like within the first 10 miles which is called Hill Street or 11 miles which is called Hill Street there were some sections that I expected to be super soft and they were super soft, but I think out of all the downhills, they were sketchy, they were icy, they were like off camber. It felt like this year and I've done polar roll for this is this was four. I think this was my fourth year. Fifth fifth year. This is my fifth year doing polar roll. Um the fourth year. Anyways, um this was the year that I would have wanted studs and I had studs pretty confidently. There were more places where I yard sailed it or other people yard sailed <laughs> it because the the snow was so packed down that in like previous years, if you you know, you went off the trail, you'd go into, you know, a foot plus of powder and you'd just like kind of do a snow angel. Oh, yeah, yeah. And this year, if you went off trail, you went into three to four inches of packed
1: ice. <laughs> oh no.
0: And you just you'd like hit the ground and you'd like hear like, you know, I heard my, you know, the carbon fiber in my frame just like hit it, makes that uh, awful noise. Uh, um but yeah, definitely were definitely were needed. And I think on Monday, just the same, we you know, we went from a, a dynamic temperature range from like f- three degrees at the start line of the ultra up to 30 degrees in the daytime, back down to like, two degrees at night and back up to 40 the following day. Oh, man. So we we were all over the place. And there was a lot of places, especially in the ultra where it was like, you're riding on what felt like just glare ice.
1: Oof. So yeah, so you ran studs for both. Um, let's We'll talk a little bit more about the mass start, and then we'll get to the ultra. Um, so I'm sure that there were mixed, like th- as the week progressed. I mean, mixed feelings, and then people were getting more and more excited about it. What was the like general vibe then? It looked like there was a decent amount of people that that showed up that actually made the trip up. Um, it was it was great to see that. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it, it seemed to me that what i thought might be a real uh bummer of a race just turned out to be a a great day for for the mass start
0: yeah i think a lot of people were super excited to come up i mean i think the entire midwest or just fat waking in general this year has kind of gotten shafted by not having a lot of great snow yeah exactly Yeah. yeah Um, I know downstate, I think it was two races had to cancel because one of two, too much snow and the other because of not enough snow. And then I know on the Wisconsin end, um, that shell track fat bike series that, um, broken spoke bicycle puts on It's like six races. And I think out of all six, they had snow for like three of them. So everybody was pretty, pretty mad to just not have any snow and yeah. I think everybody who came up was just stoked. I mean, you know, a lot of people came into the race of, you know, it's going to be like, it, it might be some of the worst conditions they've raced all year, but we're riding fat bikes, which is more than a lot of people can say at this point. So,
1: yeah, definitely. Um, and then, uh, I know there's two, two distances, right? So there's like a 30 ish and then 17.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it ended up boiling to like 27 was the long course this year. And then the short course ended up being like 16 or 17, just somewhere in there. It depended on your GPS, of course, but. Gotcha.
1: Yeah. Very cool. Um, Talk to me about your decision then. I mean, you said this is your fourth or fifth year doing polar roll. You live up there. How long have you lived up in Marquette now?
0: Uh, Oh, no, uh, sorry. Uh, I moved up here in 2019 for school and, um, I've never, I haven't found a serious reason to leave yet.
1: (laughs) That's great. It's a good place to be. Um, so you live up there, obviously. I mean, you're talking about helping out with, uh, with grooming. So you're, you're part of that, that whole community. Um, you've done it several times. Um, uh, you've done Margie Gessick finisher last year. Congratulations on that. Uh, <laughs> but this year you, you chose to do the mass start, which I think, I mean, of course um, you, you're, you're local, but then also to take on the ultra. Um, now, is that uh technically allowed? <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: yeah. Yeah. No, I, well, I, I kind of did it on a whim to be honest. Um, I remember last year looking at the, you know, I I raced the mass mass start, raged the mass start, just as I usually do and hung out with friends. And then I remember Monday following everybody on track leaders, dot watching, as we all call it, just being like, oh, it just looks like a beautiful day out there for a bike ride. Like, I'd kill to go hang with the folks and, you know, ride bikes. And I, I kind of, last year, I, drove around and stopped at some of the checkpoints and hung out and had a beer and you know did the whole volunteer like the whole stand out and watch people thing but then this year when the um registration deadline kind of came up i was kind of joking about it to myself initially i remember i sent the email to todd asking for an entry to the ultra as everybody had to like give a race resume or something and i said well I said to myself as I was doing, I was like, well, I'm doing the Margie Out and Back, the 200 this year, and I know the Crusher, the other 906 Adventure Team event, is offering a 350 mile. I said, well, I'm going to go for the 350 because, you know, and the Out and Back only happens every five years, so I got to do that. And I said, well if I'm doing the two big ones, I might as well just throw in for the other one. <laughs> i am like a, a weird triple crown situation. That's, I was just gonna ask videos. that. Is
1: there should be like a an ultra triple crown or like a an extra stupid triple crown or something? <laughs> <laughs> where you do all the all the uh the really long ones. Um <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, yeah, so so he was uh, game for that or I mean, he knows you, of course, and knows that you're not going to, um, because when I think of, think of the ultra, um, and it was, it was interesting to see how many entries there were this year or how many people started, uh, versus last year. I thought there was like 30 or maybe less last year. And were were there upwards to 50 people that took it on this year?
0: Yeah. I think starting number last year was 43 or 44. That's
1: more more than I remember
0: yeah I think that well, I think that was the racers meeting. I don't know how many finished off the top of my head, but that include, you know, included racers like Jill Martindale, Matt Acker, Jordan Wakeley, um, you know, all of these big time ultra endurance athletes who have got all this like super huge following and tons um, of ex- and tons
1: think, of experience, yeah,
0: yeah. and there was like all of this like you know, kind of perplexity. and then this year, I think, they said 66 people started, 70 people signed up. Um, yeah, there's like four people who didn't pick up beacons that didn't communicate. Um, so it grew, the field nearly doubled practically. Wow. Um, and I think it it really like shined a lot of people who had never done a winter ultra were kind of dipping their toes in. You know, They were from out of the area or they were looking for an experience. And I think for a lot of people, Completing this ultra, or or in general, obviously completing an ultra, completing an event like Polar Ultra, um kind of legitimizes them as an ultra endurance athlete to them. It kind of removes that like imposter syndrome that I feel like a lot of us cyclists carry, where we're like, well, I see, you know, this athlete is performing on this level, but I'm doing that, but it's not at that same level, but it's still the same event. And I think for a lot of people like doing this event, having this access to it, kind of like open their eyes. They're like, oh, like that imposter syndrome, but I'm doing the same thing. This is just as hard as it was for, you know, this athlete, or that athlete.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I could imagine um, as a race director for someone like Todd or like say it's a different race that has an ultra any well probably any race at all but like safety is is uh, number 1 and um opening the door to more people brings in more variables of something that could go wrong um and so i i could understand last year keeping it keeping it pretty tight i mean it seems like with these really ultra like uh say the Gessick out and back or this polar ultra there needed to be some sort of vetting before you were just let in, um, but it seemed like more people were let in this time. Um, what was what's the distance? Because you 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 said people were dipping their toe into winter ultras. There's got to be a better way to dip your toe into winter winter ultras than than the polar roll ultra, right? Like, like go well, do a a fifty mile day by yourself, and maybe maybe that's a better way to do it. <laughs>
0: Um, I think for a lot of people, what makes, or I guess like kind of like dipping your toe into winter ultras, I mean, you can always go out and do like, you know, a two nights of camping or a night of camping, um, and you know, find some route that's going to be very, very inclusive. But when people in the ultra community, you know, you think about races like Arrowhead or Tuscobia or, um, JP's, um backyard pursuit or winter pursuit. I can't remember the name exactly. Winter pursu- yeah, yeah. Winter pursuit, I think it is because he does a gravel pursuit in the summertime. Um, when I think about winter ultras, you know, we're thinking about these like all inclusive, like you're going to be freezing every bit of your body. You're wearing yeah. the biggest, heaviest cycling jacket you can. Um, and I think, it really kind of like lets a lot of people because the ultra polar ultra, it's all relatively close to a town or to a bailout point. We were actually talking about this um, just a couple of days ago at, you know, considering the gravity of the situation and the safety of the situation, you know, you're still riding in zero degree temperatures with wind chills dipping far below zero, or you have to carry enough food and water and, Clothing and sleeping bag and all this gear to, you know, if, you know, shit hits the fan, you have to be able to bivy down on the side of the, you know, the road and hopefully wait out the weather. But the Ultra, although it is very, you know, it has those big elements. There's a lot of opportunity if you need, if shit hits the fan to get out. You're five miles from, you know, from the start. You're just outside of Munising. You roll through Marquette you like the most remote part of the course in in all reality is when we start going up county road 510 and we cross past the north dead river basin um into the wolf lake area north north issuing you're kind of out there no phone reception you're like you're really out there by yourself now granted it's relatively drivable and you know, if you really needed to make a phone call or figure an easy way back to town, there are some easy roads, but you're still, you're in the back country.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's fair then to, to, to see it as a little more of a, uh, attainable ultra than just going out and doing like the Iditarod or something, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know, <laughs> um, so that's, yeah, that's, that's cool. Um, Yeah, in a way, that's it. reminds me of the year I did Crusher because I feel like there were, but there were some times in Crusher where you felt like you were just out there. Um, where if something went wrong, you were probably several hours before someone could get to you. Someone could get to you, it wasn't like you were totally, um, uh, off the beaten path, but it might take a while. Whereas a Margie Gessick, um, you're, so close to to civilization the whole time, um, which is kind of an interesting aspect of of that race. Um but uh so conditions were somewhat good for the mass start. Um uh the you said studs were were nice to have for the mass start. Um and you said you went with studs for the ultra, but how are the rest of the conditions Some temperature swings, you said. Um, I'm assuming a lot of the roads or paths or trail, they're not as groomed, quote unquote, like the uh, mass start is. So talk about conditions in general for the Ultra.
0: Yeah. Um, Well, so for the Ultra, it was pretty unique. They usually, there's like two or three different sections of the race that gets groomed outside of, like the regular grooming schedule so um the ultra encompasses parts of marquette or the trail network south trails and then it encompasses all of the range area mountain bike associations um sbr sbt snow bike route snow trail and those were you know as upkept as they would be in a regular season there was a little bit more emphasis put at south trails um to kind of prep it for the ultra mostly because I didn't want to push my bike for like 6 miles <laughs> um but outside of that there were sections like just south of or just around the Laughing Whitefish Falls area that got groomed and tire dragged um some sections right at the start line um at Otter Lake that got groomed and dragged and then you know with the the such temperature variety that we've had we weren't sure if even the passes they had made with the snow machine and the tire drags were going to set up. Um, there was a lot of like kind of question mark around that and considering
1: in terms of setup, up, like, uh, actually have like a base or like be firm yeah. enough to, to ride on top of.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Where the snow all kind of like packs down and you yeah. could like stand on it if you want, or obviously go ride a fat bike on it. Um, everything, I think there was a lot of timely action that occurred in order to make everything as good as it could be. Um, I know there was a lot of efforts put forth by nine oh six and their volunteers to run snowmobiles with tire drag behind them and snow dogs. I mean, I think they went out and were running a couple of those grooming implements during the race as well. Oh, um gosh. which was really great because it made everything just a little bit more um doable um everything turned out honestly in in all honesty all the riding conditions turned out to be some of the best now when i was chatting with um some folks who had done the ultra last year the biggest like gripe about conditions were it started snowing last year like somewhere around like six or seven o'clock at night they got like nine or ten inches of snow and it was puffy fluffy snow that didn't really pack down well And there's a lot of folks, um, specifically on a section from, it's called great vine road or deer from deer Lake road in North ish to Wolf Lake road. It's like a connector trail that they groom specifically for the race. It's usually like sled only or snowmobile only traffic. Um, last year, one of the guys we were riding with said, it took them three hours to walk it. And it's a bunch of like steep grade, um, you know, stuff that we would pedal in the summertime without an issue. But obviously when you get another, like, you know, footer plus foot plus of snow, it's unrideable. And this year he said, I mean, we, we cruised through that section in 25 minutes and it took him three hours last year. (laughs) So all, all things considered, we, we kind of got the best of both worlds and the conditions. I think what really helped that was, you know, we didn't get a lot of snow overnight Monday, um, going into Tuesday and it, it all held up really well. I think that, you know, just the timeliness of the groomers getting out there. Conditions did start to kind of break down um, once we got into the last, like, 27 miles, which is all of the SBT, SBR on the Range Area Mountain Bike Association's trails. Um, it just started to get real slushy, kind of post holdout. out. A lot of people have kind of, like, walked the trail and left some kind of Deep divots from their shoes or hiking shoes, or yeah, their hiking shoes. Um, but yeah, ironically, the worst section of the entire race, condition-wise, and everybody said this. Um, so the the ultra comes through Ntn's um, Black Trail, Black Harlow Farms Connector. So it comes from off of the Gray Walls Golf Course out to the Iron Ore Trail. It's like a probably two and a half mile connector trail and then it climbs the iron or heritage trail towards um smith paving where we cross us 41 and go up start to go up county road 510 and the section from where black connector dumps out to the heritage trail up to smith paving was like a one tire track skinny for like three miles
1: Oh god!
0: and i i know of one guy i was riding with who quit right there and then we got like two miles up it or a mile and a half up it and we still
1: real real quick how 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 far into the um the distance are you like how far into the race at this point how many hours have you been
0: we're just around 65 miles at this point
1: okay so you're well into it um yeah so like (laughs) that makes sense why something like that could get uh, extremely frustrating at that period of the <laughs> of the event.
0: Yeah, yeah. A lot of people were saying it was relatively demoralizing. I I would completely agree with that. <laughs> it, was, it just didn't matter where you put your tire, unless you were like an astute mountain biker who knew how to like ride a skinny for a really long time. You were just like having to stop and start and stop and start, and you have like one. You know, you have one tire track for about two miles in the last like half mile of that stretch was like very rideable the other two were just like super super concerning we were chatting about it um we got to mile 81 which was one of the checkpoints and everybody was like oh how was your how was your ride on the heritage trail and everybody goes oh it was so terrible i wanted to quit right there and then so was not yeah, just stuff who was having to suffer that that's
1: interesting because you would think well, I don't know. I mean, it's snow and ice and whatever, but like in terms of what's underneath or the terrain, the Heritage Trail should be one of the easiest <laughs> parts of of, yeah. you know, of of the of riding up there in general, you know. <laughs> so, for that to to be so frustrating and so difficult and the conditions to to cause so many issues, that's that's funny. <laughs> um, you uh I asked you this before, but um, what's what, what was the total distance of the of the ultra?
0: Oh, so we ended up um, it was like 140 miles roughly, and just around 7,500 feet of elevation gain. Okay. Um, so it depended obviously what your GPS said. Um, I ended up with like 142, and that was mostly in part. So I like, I stayed the night about a half mile from the start. And then the group I was riding with, we had one little like turnaround in the last 27 miles, of single track where we realized we went like a little bit too far forward. And we had to kind of backtrack for half mile and then do the finish the course kind of
1: deal. Oh, gotcha. Um, yeah. And then, so how long did it take you? Sorry. Um... Uh,
0: we were just over 32 hours like right on the edge of thirty-three hours of moving time. Okay, when we started to the time we arrived, I think it ended up being like seventeen hours of actual moving time and about sixteen hours of stopping time. So holy cow!
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, so, did you? It did you actually uh bivvy up and and sleep that night um how was that how did that go i mean were you in the middle of nowhere were you on snow did you have like a place to did you find a little makeshift shelter um i mean if if you did 17 hours 16 hours of stopping i'm assuming that you stopped for the night right
0: yeah yeah we did um so like i was kind of saying mile 81 mile 82 is like mile 81.9 um was a checkpoint an unofficial but on the map checkpoint um it was my friend evan's camp and he's run the checkpoint for two years now vulture's only been happening for two years and out there they had like you know a bonfire um they were cooking patty melts and grilled cheeses oh yeah (laughs) um bark who was sponsoring the race had a warming tent there was beer there's fire, there's folks hanging out. So we we got there somewhere, or I I think I got there somewhere right around sunset, so like six thirty, six forty-five-ish, um, on Monday in the evening. And I was I was sitting there and we were we were sitting inside the warming tent, inside the cabin, kind of like drying out a couple pieces of gear that were oversaturated. You know, we'd been sweating in jackets and jerseys and all that stuff for the last, you know, going on 12 hours at that point. We started doing the math about it and we were like, well, you know, we have 48 hours to finish. We have 36 hours to get a, a belt buckle, which, if you're familiar with 906 Adventure Team events, the hand forged belt buckle that's handed out to finishers under 12 hours at the Margie from Gordon Gearhart, same kind of applied application to the Polar Ultra this year. If you did it under, in, 30, in under, 36 hours. You got a belt buckle. It's at Polar Ultra. Um, so we're sitting there. We're doing the math. We're saying, okay, it's 36 hours for belt buckle, 48 hours for cutoff. Um, we were like, we can sleep for six hours right now. Nice. Comfortable. Yeah. And get up in the morning and just, you know, ride into Ishming, And then ride the last um, ride the last 27 miles. And I was thinking about just kind of drying off my gloves. I, I was pretty pretty set on at least making it to issuing by like one o'clock, maybe two in the morning. And then maybe they were, they were offering, it wasn't, you know, it was completely, it was a, it was a race option offered to everybody. We wanted to like take a nap on the bike shop, West End ski and trails floor. We were more than welcome to since it was like an, an option offered everybody. That was kind of like my goal. Cause I'd have a refresh point and then I'd be able to get up, um, you know, maybe make a little freeze-dried meal and then uh, just keep keep punching on for the last 27 miles. But as we're sitting at Evan's camp and we're talking um, about cutoffs and everything, a couple of our friends rolled in and they were like, we're planning to sleep. We're going to bivy up for six hours. There's no reason to push it. There's no snow in the forecast. The conditions are looking fine. We can get up at four in the morning, ride for five hours to get to dishmiming, and then ride the four and a half, five hours of, um, mountain bike or trail mountain bike trails and still come in under the cutoff. So, um, I kind of went back and forth to get up at like two, two 30 and I woke up somewhere around like two o'clock to my friend and the cabin's owner, Evan being like, well, I want to go at two. And then we both said, well, we'll just wait half an hour. The other guys who we're going to ride with, we're going to get up at three thirty four to go. And we Slept for another hour. It was really great because sleep was really, really nice refresh. We got up, we refilled bottles, did the whole, you know, fresh gloves, fresh base layer kind of thing, and then bolted out the door at like 4.15 or something like that. So, in the morning.
1: Um, What kind of crew were you rolling with? So, I mean, it it sounds like you had a few people. Um, How many of you rode together? Was that, I'm assuming, with this kind of distance, it was incredibly helpful to have some uh moral support a kind of a team with you
0: yeah um so off the bat i kind of rolled up by myself um my friend evan was kind of talking about there he kind of caught up to me um after he he like sped ahead for a bit and then added some air to his tires right off the bat and then the friend i was talking about who quit right before us 41 john he it was like me evan and john for like a majority of the day. And then John um, bailed out somewhere around sixty four, sixty five, So just over, just about halfway through. And Evan had kind of been up in front of us. Um, and then there was a group of three guys or th- three people behind us, um, three locals who were, we kind of knew, we knew them and we weren't sure what their pacing was. So we were kind of figuring out what we wanted to do. And um, we ended up with six people, At the end, it ended up being myself, my friend, also my boss, um, (laughs) Evan, um, a friend of ours, Grant, who's kind of like a first, this is the second time he's done the ultra. He was the guy I was chatting about, who said it took him three hours to do that Wolf Lake section. Um, another friend of ours, Tara, and this was like the third winter ultra she had done. And then, um, a guy whose first bike race was the polar ultra. His name is Aaron. He's a issuing local, works in construction. Dude is like hard as nails. Holy cow. Uh, and he's a he's like an ultra runner. So like he's done, you know, he's done some pretty serious feats um across the board, but like this was his first real bike race was wow. the ultra. So we had a we had a pretty good crew and then we ended up picking up um there's one guy from the forty five north team who's also a local Brian Geschel, who like Went a little bit too hard off the bat, slept for a handful of hours, and then we kind of slow rolled with him um, in the morning and kind of finished it out all as one crew. You know, we're stopping here and there on the Ramba single track and cracking jokes and talking about whatever, eating snacks, the whole deal. So it it kind of turned into a tour for us, a bikepacking tour in some kind of capacity, which was kind of nice you know it kind of took the seriousness out of racing for a minute which in an event that spanned that long was really
1: really nice yeah i mean it seems like and honestly that's how i would want to at least do a first winter ultra or um yeah like it seems alone it could be uh Really uh, sad and depressing. <laughs> and you could get into some dark spots doing that much alone and in the cold, and so many things can go wrong. But if you have a crew with you, um, I've been seeing some of the pictures and uh, some of the write up that you did about it. It's like, yeah, that it seems like that's a little more of how I would want to experience it. Um, I know uh, a cool thing about the double, the unofficial double you did um is that for the mass start you rode a bike one certain bike and then for the ultra did you not ride a whole whole different setup whole different bike
0: I I did um so I I have two fat bikes which I didn't ever expect to own two fat bikes brag. In my life, What but... a brag <laughs> <laughs> Um you should see my apartment it's me and 11 bikes in here <laughs> um, but, yeah, so I, I picked up a Y-Cycles bigger. So I, I should clarify. So I, I've had a Salsa salsa Cycles Bear Grease, which has been, like, the the time-tested, the well-defined um, fat bike racing bike. Um, you know, it's been raged by Matt Acker, Jill Martindale, 45 North Crew, um, you know, for years and years and years and years. And I, that's been kind of my go-to fat bike for years. I've never really, like... I always like to classify fat biking as something that like, it's nice to do. And it's something it's hard to not do in a town that, you know, has 30 plus miles of cream, single track in the winter time. I've never really loved fat biking because it's like, it's hard to go from a mountain bike to a fat bike. You know, you're going from your 2.4 inch tires to your 4.6 inch tires. Yeah. You know, um, but so yeah, I've had a salsa bear grease that I kind of custom kitted out. Um, and then I.
1: That one was for, oh, that was right, for the mass start. that's for the mass start. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And that was, that was kitted
0: out with, um, you know, I, I have a tram access drive train on it. Um, oh, wow. I have fully studded fully fully studded tires, carbon wheels, industry nine hubs, you know, the kind of, a the it's probably whole.
1: lighter than my mountain bike for sure. Right. Like it's I, gotta be, I, it's gotta be like 25 pounds. <laughs>
0: yeah actually, it was it was funny when i when i I changed a couple of things on it this season. I went to a different fork um and went to just you know very marginal things that were different. Um, it weighed twenty twenty four and a half, which is about what my cross country mountain bike weighs. Wow. <laughs> nuts. um and then this this fall, I was just kind of poking around looking for things to buy as the n plus one mindset goes. And somebody had listed a Y-Cycles Big Iron. Um, so if you don't know, Y-Cycles is a company based out of Carbondale, Colorado. They've now been absorbed by their sister company, Revel Bikes. Um, I'm a big aficionado of titanium bikes. They're lifelong bikes. They kind of like, you know, they they build them. They kind of bend themselves a little bit more to like, a, you know, you're going to buy one and just hang a different bunch of parts off of them. You're never really going to sell it. Um, and I picked that up for, what, seemed like a lot cheaper than I should have and um, built it up. I had a second set of carbon wheels for my bear grease already. And as I was kind of scheming, getting closer to the ultra, I said, well, this makes so much more sense. I'll just ride my bear grease for the mass start. It's set up racy. It's got the electronic drivetrain, the more aggressive studded tires. It's, you know, I ride it as a trail bike as a fat bike. And then I built the big iron kind of, you know, a little bit differently. I had chosen a mechanical SRAM drivetrain, I'd put a rack on it, and you know, based off of those things and a couple other, you know, the, the big iron came with a fat bike fork that didn't have any mounting eyelets on the front to put any bags or water bottle cages or anything. Um, and my bear grease had a fork that had mounting points and everything, so I swapped the forks out to make one a little bit more racy my bear grease. And then I built out the big iron to be kind of like that ultra endurance rig, the touring rig, the bike that you leave the bags on, you never take them off kind of deal. Um, so I, yeah, it was really seamless. I came home after the mass start and I pulled like the two things off my bear grease I needed for the mat for the ultra, which was just like my tool kit. Um, and like a water bottle or two, then put the bear grease away and, started rebuilding the big iron, you know, I already had the panniers on the side of the bike and I had the rack attached. I just had to, you know, fill in all the gaps of all the gear and everything. So I rode two completely different rigs, which made it so much easier to just like hop on one and hop off the other kind of deal.
1: Yeah. So it sounds like you're happy with your choices then. Um, happy with your bike choice. Were there times during the ultra that you may have been rethinking your choice to do both the mass start and the ultra so close together, or were, were you happy with, with that choice as well?
0: There was a section somewhere around like mile 50, 55 ish. Um, it was right when we turned into old camp bridge, um, on the NTM South trails, my legs were pretty cooked. We're 55 miles in 50 to 55, you know, I pedaled. 27 or 28 miles on saturday my legs were a little fried from that and now i had been riding what would usually be like a 30 pound bike or 27 28 pound bike which is now weighing 65 because <laughs> gear and everything and i i took a second lead against the tree and i was like maybe this isn't for me maybe maybe winter ultras aren't for me um but then, you know, I started clipping back along at a good pace and I was like, okay, no, I I think I could maybe, maybe do the mass start in the ultra again in the same weekend. Um, but yeah, I mean, I had a minute of doubt there, but, um, I think just with the way the season's been, you know, we talked about how we've had so little snow and the Midwest has kind of gotten shafted in that capacity. I was big into the, like, my legs might be shelled and I might be so exhausted when I'm done but I'm getting a chance to ride a fat bike this year, which is kind of changing my tune about fat bikes in general as well. More of like a less becoming a, Oh, I'm just doing it because it's convenience more of a, well, I do really enjoy this.
1: So would you, you kind of branded the Polar Roll Ultra as a introduction to winter ultras do you see it as an introduction for yourself into uh more gnarly other experiences, um, some of the other ones you rattled off? Is that something that you could see yourself doing in the in the future?
0: I definitely think so. I I you know, there was a lot of a period of time where I in in years past, and I've hung out with athletes who have done Arrowhead and ITI I did around 10 or I did a rod, they did a bike race, um, and Tuscobia and JP's backyard pursuit and all these races. And I've always said, There's no way you're gonna catch me dead and negative other <laughs> riding a bike because that's a hard pass. Um, but I think that this event really kind of opened my eyes to being like even when the conditions are bad, even when you know shit hits the fan, which it didn't really hit the fan. It's still like two days you get to spend out on a bike during the daytime riding a bike, which for a lot of people who, you know, like myself, who are working a job or going to school or any of those things, you know, we're riding after work or before work or riding in the daylight of the dusk. And just having that opportunity, I think just to get outside in the daylight is kind of like. Kind of shifted my mindset i'm like okay well maybe i could think about arrowhead next year or maybe i could think about jp's backyard pursuit i don't think i have the stones for iditarod <laughs> complete transparency but um i definitely you know when registration rolls around for arrowhead next year i might be hard pressed to not consider doing it and another factor that is just you know you buy into a winter ultra so i mean you buy you know you have to pass gear check on the front end and the back end. And that includes like having a negative 20 degree sleeping bag and having a bivvy sack and things that like carry a lot of financial cost. And it's, I am, I'm, I'm hard pressed to be like a one and done kind of situation sure. with that.
1: Yeah, that makes, that makes a ton of sense. Um, so, but what about roll ultra next year or the, or the, the unofficial double, you think that that might be a might be something you do again.
0: I I definitely think so. I was saying pretty up and down throughout the course of the race where I was like, I think I, I can be okay with one polar ultra, but you know, we are rolling into swimming and we're cracking jokes and we're having a good time. And we're, you know, having that kind of just good mindset where everybody's having an enjoyable experience. And I was like, it's going to be hard pressed for me to say, no, I don't want to go ride my bike for, 30 hours with friends again next year. I mean, it could be drastically different conditions. Sure. We get a blowing snow and negative temperatures the entire time. But I think just like it's one of those things where it's like I'd rather have the experience and be able to say I did it more so than wish I was there. You know, I think FOMO is a big thing, especially in the cycling, in the, the realm of the cycling industry or the cycling exercise, the cycling whatever you want to call it hobby. Um, so yeah, I think I'll be back for it for sure. Yeah.
1: We'll have to see that, uh, after we put this out, if, uh, there's like an official, no, not everyone can do the mass start and ultra (laughs) don't, (laughs) don't just sign up for both. Yeah. Like, (laughs) um, you know, one thing I wanted to kind of close with and ask you about, um, and, and I think it's probably a conversation that may may not be best between you and I, or, but maybe it's better to had with, with, with some other people, but, um, there's a roll I felt like was a big deal because there was like zero fat biking. There was a couple here and there. We had no snow in the Midwest. We had really bad conditions. Everything kind of came together and it was like, oh my God, there's an actual, an actual event that, um, that, that brought us good conditions and people came together and rode um 906 did a great job of of putting that together 906 also um was delta a tragedy uh only only a few weeks before um before the race a uh, month or so um and uh they lost one of their own terra and and I I just I'm curious. I don't really. I want to be respectful about it and don't want to really get into things that like I, I don't know much about. But what I'm what I'm curious about is, it had to be a big deal for the the vibe itself. Um, there had to be a positive vibe about kind of um, being able to, to get through a bad situation and still be able to put on a race, put on a positive experience. What was your take on that whole thing? You being local up there, um, was it, was it big for the community to be able to, to still put on polar, polar roll and have polar roll still be a thing despite the hardships that, that they, uh, that were going on in the, the, the month or so before that?
0: I definitely think it was, I mean, it really did impact the community. I heard it from, you know, you hear it being, being plugged into the community relatively well. You hear it from obviously the individuals who are affected. You know, I heard it from 906 volunteers. I heard it from Todd himself. Um, I heard it from friends of Tara's. And then I heard it from people who I didn't think had like an immediate connection. Um, to tara or 906 in general i think a lot of folks knew her knew what she did and knew what how influential she was um i think being able to rally behind her or in memory of her for not only this year but what todd is kind of promoting is you know 906 just reached 10 years of being an organization it's 10 years this Mm is the 10th edition of a bunch of these races that have been going on since day one um, and he's, you know, saying, do it, you know, another 10 years for Tara. Another 10 years of, of doing these events that she loved, that she loved putting on. And I think, um, to put on an event of the capacity, to put on an event that takes as much of a village to put on, like Polar in memory of Tara really pulls everybody together. Um, you know, I feel like it felt different in a capacity that there was like a lot of, a lot of like more somber or just like good energy that kind of came out of the event. It wasn't as serious. It didn't seem like both the mass start. I mean, we, you know, we we lined up for the start line up at, at um, eight o'clock on Main Street or in downtown Ishming. And Todd comes over the bullhorn. He's talking about how, you know, it's, it's 30 miles or it's 27 miles, but don't just do it for yourself, do it for somebody who couldn't do it. And we've seen this, you know, there's been a lot of individuals who have unfortunately passed on before they should have that these events have been run in, in, in name of, and I think that it really changes the like the perspective and the opinion of the racers but i think it definitely um i don't want to use the phrase lights of fire under a lot of people's asses but like a lot of people change from well maybe i thought about pulling out of this race to now i'm going to finish this because i knew this person um and it was the same thing at the ultra we had the pre-race meeting we went through gear check and then we had the pre-race meeting and he talks about you know he's pretty cut and dry Todd, if you know him, he's very kind of to the point kind of guy and the pre-race meeting had a lot of like, you know, these are the way the conditions are. We didn't know how it was going to be, but in the same kind of capacity, we didn't realize the impact or the effect. and as a result you know, you should be doing it for Tara. He said it a lot throughout the pre-race meeting. Um, I also know that there were two individuals. So when, a another point of context here is when an individual is passed on and Todd has known them, but they've been very well influential within the 906 adventure team, um, kind of community. He retires a number plate. Yep. I think we're up to like one, two and three yep. for three individuals. And then 906 was retired for Tara. Um, and so 906, the number plate will never be run again, like intentionally. You know, it's something that they'll have produced with her name on it, but it'll sit at a registration table and won't be handed out. And kind of to like bolster the determination, bolster the point of like do it for Tara, do it, you know, come together for the community. Um, the snowshoeer who finished for ultra and I think 52 hours it was which oh is an
1: incredible feat. I cannot believe someone did that on it with snowshoes that's insane that's I amazing. know um snowshoes and a
0: sled drag behind her but she was carrying 906 she was carrying exactly. Tara's number plate the entire time and I think that that is a great definition of the community. I mean, that individual I believe is from Marquette. She's from, or she's from the greater UP area. It, you know, it demonstrates that the community really does come behind individuals. It really does come behind the energy. And regardless of the circumstances, I think a lot of this community rallies behind the opportunities we get and how lucky we are for those opportunities.
1: Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And, you know, we, we do these stupid things. We do these events, we do these, uh, huge races and it's, it's fun to get competitive. It's, it's fun to push yourself. Um, but really it is when, when you go to a Margie Gessick, when you go to a Polar Roll, you know, it's, there's, there's this community and that those communities are all over the state in different race events and all over the country. Um, and so it, it, I guess like I, I wasn't sure how best to talk about this right now, but it would be wrong not to bring it up because I think it was a, I'm sure, uh, I was on the outside, but I'm sure it was a big, uh, a big thing for, for the weekend, for the whole, uh, Polaro weekend. Um, and it, and it, probably made it more difficult it probably made it more impactful it probably made it more special and uh and it's going to have a, a a lasting effect um hopefully positively um like as todd said 10 for 10 years for tara 10 10 for tara um cool um and thank you for for bringing your perspective on that i appreciate that you being a local and being up there um during that time um Cool. Ben, uh, congrats on, on the double and, uh, thanks, thanks for, <laughs> thanks for giving us all this information. Um, what's next for you? Are you doing, are you doing Mid-South?
0: Yeah. Um, my next month is a, is a little bit of a, a little bit of a trip. So I had to Mid-South the second weekend in March and then I go, I come back to, come back to town, go back to school for a week. And then I go down to the Ozarks. I'm doing, um,
1: bikepacking doom. Oh yes. Um, I forgot you were doing that.
0: <laughs> Some, somehow I got myself wrapped into that one. I'm just doing despair. So, you know, only 196 miles and 20,000 feet of elevation. Gain. <laughs> um, but it won't be in the snow. Well, uh, exactly. Maybe. Exactly. <laughs> I was laughing. Somebody was asking, they were like, oh yeah, you know, like, is this like your big event for the year? I was like, no, this is all like prep for Doom. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm doing Doom and then um, I'll be back in Hastings for Bay I think it's my ninth year doing it or eighth year doing it. And then um, that's kind of, that kind of floats my season until Crusher 350 and then the out and back for Margie. Yeah. Which I feel like it's all just prep for the out and back at the end of the day.
1: You it's know? all prep for the out and back for sure. Which uh, I'll be there with you. <laughs> yeah,
0: it'll be a, it'll be a good time. We'll be we'll be laughing. We'll be yeah. having
1: jokes. <laughs> cool. Well, I I'll be at Mid South. I'll see you at Mid South. We we did that a few years ago, and I know that you you were there last year, I think too. So it's a staple in yeah. your in your schedule. But we will see each other at Mid South. Maybe yeah. uh, chat then too. And um, are you doing the hundred, Barry? Yep. Yeah. yeah, I'm heading back for. I I'm
0: desperately after that freaking hundred mug. I like came in. I came within like two minutes of it. Yeah, that psycho killer mug. I think I came within like two minutes of it
1: last uh, year. Man. Yeah. It. It. All. All things kind of have to uh, go correct to get get that mug. Kind of like a. Kind of like a. Uh, uh, a buckle, right? So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, cool, man. Um, I will. uh, I'll see you in Stillwater.
0: Yeah, I'll see you in Stillwater.
1: Yeah, thanks for, thanks for this. This was awesome.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Anytime, Trevor.
1: The Dirty Chain Podcast is a Michigan Mid-Pack Media Production in partnership with KOM Cycling, the source for your bike accessories and necessities. Connect with us on Instagram and Facebook at Dirty Chain Podcast. Email DirtyChainPodcast at gmail.com. If you are enjoying the podcast, please leave us a rating and review on whatever platform you use to listen. Audio editing and original music by myself, Trevor Gibney. Thank you to Ben Alter for joining me on this episode to talk all about Polarol Mass Start and Polarol Ultra. And thank you all for listening to the Dirty Chain Podcast. And as always, keep your chain clean, but get your chain dirty. We will see you in the mid-pack.